We as a church are called to raise arrows. We're becoming an arrow or we've become arrows because we are a promise from God. But we're called to raise our children to be weapons of war, which is arrows. Okay, Psalm 128 says, children are inheritance of the Lord. Blessed is the man that has his quiver full of them, right? And so we become arrows. But what arrows need more than anything are great archers. What good is the arrow without an awesome archer, right? Think about that. So in this, in this child dedication or baby dedication that we're doing next Sunday, it's vital that you come, if you want your child to be dedicated, that you come to the class that Amber and I are gonna lead. We're gonna take time out of our schedules to lead you in an understanding of why dedicating your, chi- dedicating your child to the Lord is so important. Because what I found out over all the years, we've dedicated hundreds and hundreds of babies. And I've seen more parents spin out or walk away or aren't here anymore or fall back into drugs and alcohol. And what you need to understand is dedicating your child to the Lord is more than the moment of the dedication. It's about the lifetime of dedication from the parents. As a youth pastor, I would set these kids free all the time. We'd bust demons out of them, goth kids, metalheads, you name it. And they'd get free in my youth groups. And then as soon as they get free, they'd go right back to their parents smoking doobies and getting high and drinking brewskis. And Jesus is nowhere to be found. And the parents will actually rob what they were experiencing in God's presence or the transformation that was happening to them. And so when we do these child dedications, anybody and everybody tends to show up. We tend to have people that aren't even a part of Rock City come because they're like, oh, I want to dedicate my child to the Lord, but they don't want to make a dedication to Jesus themselves. And they're also not a part of a body. And so having your child dedicated by us is a very important thing for us. This is important. This isn't just a religious protocol. This is a life transformation for your kids. Take it for, I got a four and five-year-old. And I want to demonstrate to them a lifetime of dedication and commitment. It's not about a one-time touch or you doing something to appease your conscience for your kids. So we have the class not to beat you up and tear you down, but to encourage you and strengthen you. And it's only going to go an hour. It's not going to be that intense. But here's what I know. If you come to the class, you are serious. It's pretty much just about the fact that you'll come to the class. I don't expect you to be perfect. We make a lot of mistakes with our kids. Parenting is the second hardest thing I've ever done after being married. (laughs) And so... We want to help you. We want to give you tools and resources to love your kids well. Not just bring them for a quick dedication, but to live it out for them as an example. So this Wednesday, we'll be there, 6.30. There will be child care. There will be child care. So what we're raising up is archers and arrows. You can have a weapon, a weapon of war in the hand of a bad archer We call that friendly fire that kills. Last week, I talked about understanding the difference between mission and ministry. If you don't understand the difference between mission and ministry, you'll want to quit the ministry. Some of you already have. Or you don't want to get back involved in ministry because you're afraid of a whole slew of things. Maybe you were hurt in the past. Maybe you feel like you won't get recognized or understood or that what we're going to do with you and for you or what you have to bring is not important enough. But what you need to understand is there's a difference between mission and ministry. There's a difference. Mission is the end goal of what we are all trying to accomplish and what God wants to accomplish on the face of the earth. Mission's much bigger than a ministry component. Ministry gets us, in a sense, to the mission because it's the steps we take to accomplish the end goal that God has for us. But ministry is not the mission. Ministry is a part of the mission. Ministry helps get us to the mission. Let me help you understand that a little bit better. I'm not David the hand. She's not Amber the foot. Even though many of you are hands and feet spiritually. But what makes me me is the holistic component of me, not just my hand. My hand is one thing that I do, but it's not the fullness of what I do or what I have. Because I actually have two hands, two ears, two eyes. What makes me me is the holistic component of me. What makes you you is all the components that make you you. So you're not identified just as one thing. Though you may have a slant or a bent towards something. All of you have a ministry nature. 
meaning you're defined by how God created you to be and a function that you have to give in the kingdom. The best way I can explain that is you have apple trees and orange trees and banana trees and even some nut trees or coconut trees. I'll be a coconut tree. And so we have all these different facets and natures. It's not about titles. Every title in the New Testament is actually a nature. Elder, deacon, bishop, overseer, evangelist, even the fivefold ministry are natures that God gives to his people to fully train and equip us for the work of the ministry, and it makes us holistic. So last week, I defined what holistic means. Holistic means all the facets and components of who you are unified together as one to make you whole. So in a church, it's about all the different dynamics and components. It's not just about prayer and intercession. It's not just about worship. It's not just about feeding the poor. It's not just about greeters and ushers. It's not just about any one particular thing. It's about all of it encompassing and making us who we are becoming. And holistic is the fullness of the kingdom of God manifest through his people, through his image and nature, which is called his glory. Now, you may not remember that, but the good news is it's being videoed. So what God does is he matures us over the course of time through faith and obedience, and he gives us more and we expand. And as we expand, we get a greater understanding of who God is. We mature in our understanding. So when you get born again, you have a full-grown Jesus living inside of you. You don't have a little piece of Jesus. You don't have one little part of Jesus. You have all of him, but you lack understanding. Nor can you get it all, all the understanding day one. You'd fry out. So in the process of obedience and faith, God matures you and he gives you greater understanding. Guys, this is awesome if you'll catch what I'm teaching you. Because some of you are so impatient in the process, you want to quit. Or you get frustrated. The devil lies to you, and then you want to just throw in the towel. But understand, God has put something inside of every one of you. God has given every single person here a talent, a measure of ability according to what you can do right now. And then he says, double it up. Everybody say, double it up. So we help each other double it up. And we do that through unity and understanding we all play a part to accomplish a task, and it's called being holistic. So God wants every person to be holistic, but that takes a long time of discovery. That takes a long time of learning. That takes a long time of being faithful and obedient, because when you're faithful with the little, he does what? He gives you more. So your whole life is this process of a little bit and a little more, a little bit and a little more, to where he expands your ability to contain and sustain everything that God is giving you. But you don't get it without laboring, being faithful, and obedient over the course of time. There's a huge, giant mission in the kingdom of God that he has for all of you. And in the mission, God wants us to multiply. He wants us to multiply. Everybody say multiply. God wants us to multiply by raising up a holistic church. And everywhere you go all over the world, his end game, end goal is to create a holistic church with no, no matter what nation you go to. It means that within the body of Christ, I have specialists everywhere. And they keep coming and they keep growing. They get trained, they get healed, trained, equipped, and sent. And when, wherever you go, it always comes back to here because there has to be training ground. There has to be training ground in the kingdom of God. Now, the greatest training ground in the kingdom of God is your house. Make your house a house of acts. Make it supernatural. Dreams, visions. I lift my hands at the most random of times. I pray, we pray in tongues in front of my kids a lot. And my kids, they're just like, just play away because it becomes normal. Now, imagine if there's a thousand of us praying in tongues, spirit-filled, supernatural, busting up. Imagine if there's a thousand of us that are prophets, apostles, teachers, pastors, and evangelists. And you may have a bent because your nature may be an apple tree. And if you're an apple tree, you think apple. And that's okay, but it's not just apples. There's a lot of other flowers and fruits in the garden of God all over the world. So what God does is he raises up a whole garden full of all kinds of fruitful people 
that bear in their nature of who they are, and they partner together to make a whole. Are you following me today? This is a powerful word right now. This is a powerful word. So every one of you, no matter where you're at, no matter how you're living right now, you have something to give. I'm telling you, you have something to give. And the devil will always come to rob you in your dreams. He'll always come to rob your dream. He's always embedded in the dreams to get you to not believe in yourself or that God will fulfill his promise to you. He always does. And so what happens is, is what you, whatever your nature is, if you're not careful, you'll only think that nature and then everything is about that thing. But it's not. If you're not careful, you'll only think vertical. Everything's about worship. But then the person next to you says, everything's horizontal, it's about feeding the poor. And then if you're not careful, you start complaining, this church doesn't do enough in this area. Why don't we do more outreach? Why don't we do more missions? Why don't we feed the poor more? Why don't we have night and day worship? And then what happens is, is you start complaining and get stuck in your lane. And see, you don't know what we know most of the time because God has ordained us in a sense with an apostolic vision and I'm seeing all the dots connected and I'm seeing the much bigger picture that God wants to do. And if you're not careful, you'll get so stuck in your lane, you'll want to quit and say, this isn't worth it anymore. But see, you need to understand that we're thinking about, think about this, everybody's life is at stake. Everybody. Can you imagine carrying weight and responsibility as leaders that reflect Christ for hundreds and thousands of people? Yes, say yes, I can imagine it. Yes, please. Say yes, I can imagine it. Because we don't want to do it alone. Do you understand? We can't do it alone. In, numbers, in Exodus 18, Moses is judging millions of people night and day. And his father-in-law, Jethro, comes, which Jethro's name means excellence, and he reprimands Moses, and he says, this thing you're doing is not good. It's Exodus 18. He says, you are going to wear yourself out and the people out. And I got this phrase, wore out leaders, wear out people. Let me just tell you, I'm fired up. If you can't tell, I'm fired up. This doesn't stop. (laughs) This is 26 years and strong. Now, I have my moments. But I'm telling you, the fire burns brighter and it doesn't stop because you understand the mission and you don't get sidetracked by the ministry. When I first moved to Corpus, I got hired by a mega church, what I would consider an institutionalized corporate structure system to run Corpus Christi's very first campus video church. I was a campus pastor, the very first one in Corpus Christi. And really what I was, was I was a hired facilitator. Bible has some things to say about hired facilitators. But I learned a lot in that process, and I knew that God was calling me to come here. I knew that God was calling me to come here. But let me just tell you, when I came here to lead this campus church, I was miserable. I was miserable mainly because I didn't like Corpus Christi. I didn't like Corpus. I was like, man, Lord, you certainly have made a mistake. First of all, everything moved too slow for me. Like I'm high speed, full speed. And I felt like I shifted down about five gears. Okay. I'm in this like weird paradigm of surfer meets country. Right. And everybody has this attitude of let's do it tomorrow. I'm like, no, let's get it done now. I'm like, I'm like ready to rock this. And my biggest frustration in Corpus was the fact that the only thing they had was Starbucks. Oh, I made some, don't get mad at me, guys. Don't get mad at me. The point is, is I wanted a good macchiato. I wanted a good macchiato, like an artisan level macchiato. I loved my three o'clock in the afternoon macchiato. And I loved community. And I came from a place in Tulsa, Oklahoma, having gone to Oral Roberts University, where I was experiencing incredible culture and friends and people in life. And then I came here and I knew no one. And I took over a campus church that only had about 50 people there. And it was in foreclosure and it was in the toilet. And I was called to rescue it. And I roll in with long hair, driving my convertible SS Camaro, single. It was awesome. It was awesome. And I was under the watchful eye of the church leaders, let me tell you. Then not long after, my wife walks in, and I said, man, she needs some laying on a hands ministry, and next thing you know, I'm kidding, guys. Come on, I'm just having some fun today. So, so 
<clears throat> before coffee waves, before my wife, before any of the great things were happening, I was so miserable and so frustrated by the structure and the system that I was in because it wasn't who I was. I'm wired a certain way and so are you. I'm wired for the fire. I'm wired for the supernatural. I'm wired for the power of God. I'm wired for family. I'm wired for kingdom. I'm wired for wild. God wants you wired for wild. And God wants a church that's aggressive and militant, that's rooted in, and founded in love and family. Because people are hurting and broken and dying everywhere around us. While I preach this message, somebody will have committed suicide. Thousands of people have committed suicide, abortions, a child will have been abused. I mean, the, the atrocities happening in the darkness of this world are insane. A hundred yards from this church building, somebody's getting wired out on crack or meth right now. Right now. And I was so focused and self-consumed on myself, and I was so frustrated, and I was so frustrated that things weren't happening the way I wanted them to happen. You see what I'm saying? Understand this. I wanted it one way, but God said, no, you need to learn all of the facets I'm going to teach you there so that you can have a greater holistic understanding. And I said, but no, Lord, I want to quit. Certainly you have made a mistake in bringing me here. I wanted to quit. And I got two words from the Lord. If you get a word from heaven in your most difficult season, you can cling on to it and it will, stay, it will keep you on the course and help you to stay strong in the midst of your difficult season. Here were the two words that I got at that time. The first word I got was, son, I have you in destiny. I said, Lord, this doesn't seem like my destiny. He says it is. And he gave me the definition of what destiny was. He says, son, I have you right where I want you to be right now, and there's nowhere else you'd rather, I'd rather you be. Because I called you there, even when it didn't make sense and it was uncomfortable for me in the natural. Destiny's not just your end game. Destiny is the process to the end. Do you understand? And so what God said was, I, I have called you to be here and there's nowhere else I'd rather you be. If you're hearing my voice in this church right now, there's nowhere else you're supposed to be. You're not supposed to be at the other church down the street. You're not supposed to be in Hawaii, though I know you'd love to be. You're not supposed to be in Key West. You're not supposed to be on your, on your boat right now fishing, though I know some of you like dreaming about fishing right now. You're not supposed to be out on the beach, walking the beach right now. God has you here for a purpose and a reason. And when you know where you're supposed to be, see, that's why I say you don't get to pick your church. You, you get spirit-led where you're supposed to go. Because if the Lord tells you where you're supposed to be, then no matter how difficult or how hard it is, there's a lesson in it, and he's trying to teach you something in the process. Because it didn't make sense where I was. I got shut down on dream interpretation and told I was a new age or never do it again. I got shut down on playing percussion and said, I didn't want you to play percussion. I wanted you to be my facilitator. And so much of who I was was being robbed. But had I not heard God's voice, I would have quit. Had I not known that I was supposed to be where I was supposed to be, you would not be hearing me today. There'd be no amber, no coffee waves, no rock city. And then God gave me a second word. And the second word was this. He said, son, I didn't call you to a church via the avenue of a city. I called you to a city via the avenue of a church. And I went... Lord, I'm so sorry. Because I recognized and realized that God did not call me to Corpus Christi just to be a campus pastor or to just have a church. He called me to transform the city and the region and the nations of the world. That's apostolic understanding that what we are doing is so much bigger than the moment of the now. And had God not given me that word, I would have quit. And there's some people that couldn't make it, but they've come back here. There's some people that stayed with me, but it was a brutally difficult situation. I was crushed, shut down, and went into a massive fog. And in the midst of my massive, massive fog of being crushed, I met the love of my life. And had I not stayed the course, we wouldn't be married and I wouldn't have my children. Because I heard God's voice and I was obedient to it. And God said, I've called you to something so much bigger than the church. Trust me in the process. I said, I'm staying right where I'm at. And for six and a half years, I didn't quit. And it was hard. And I felt shut down in every area. But one day, God would resurrect me. One day, God would take what was dead and breathe breath and life and fire back into me. 
together now, not just me, but together with my wife, because both of us were miserable. Both of us were at our ends. Driving from Port A over to Lantana and 37 every week, twice a week, round trip, facilitating, not even fully understanding why we were doing it. And so you've got to understand that the holistic picture is what matters and God has you in process and it's not just about one thing, it's about trusting him because he teaches you the whole. He teaches you the whole. God would show me that his heartbeat for me, my wife, and all of you and Rock City, it's called Rock City because we're the city built on the rock. Where we are a apostolic, prophetic, outreach-driven, take-the-nations church. And we're, God is building something here. He's building something beautiful. And the way that God wants to expand the kingdom all over the world through holistic churches and holistic people is through multiplication. Everybody say multiplication. multiplication. The title of my message this morning is The Multiplication Mandate. It's a new series that I'm going to be leading from now for the next several weeks. It's an understanding that God expects multiplication from every single one of us, all of us. Multiplication is a critical and vital part for the kingdom to expand all over the world. He doesn't want you staying the same. He wants you growing, he wants you expanding, and he wants you reproducing into the more that he has for you. And he's mandated it biblically. So the word multiplication isn't just one plus one equals two. What it means is I'm going to take the one from you and I'm going to get it myself and now we make two. It's expansion and multiplication through reproduction. It's taking what God has put inside of you and giving it to somebody else so that they get it and now we reproduce sons and daughters and mamas and papas. It's multi kingdom multiplication through getting it and giving it. Not just more money, not just more numbers. It's about raising up a family, a tribe, and an army through reproduction. The next thing is mandate. The Bible gives us a lot of mandates, and it especially gives us a mandate to multiply. I love the word mandate. It means an official order or commission to do something. It means an official order or commission to do something. In a legal sense, especially a kingdom legal sense, it's written authority enabling someone to carry out a transaction on somebody else's bank account. Let me say it to you again. The legal mandate of the kingdom and sons and daughters is a written authority that enables us to carry out transactions on someone else's bank account. Now, if we were a religious dysfunctional church and I had self-motivations, I would be writing checks for myself on your bank account. That's dysfunctional religion. In the kingdom, it's the understanding that Jesus has paid the price and now I can write a thousand checks on the bank account which he already paid the price for. And now we're men and women full of kingdom bank accounts. So you need to start writing checks. I'm, just talking about your I'm not talking about your money. I'm not about your talents. Now, maybe your money too. The point is, is that God has given us written legal authority right here. See this? This is a Bible. And now when you read it and spend time in it, it gets inside of you. And when you get born again, you become the legal authority on earth. The, the kingdom of God is the standard, not the world system. You are the standard. You're called to walk in the power and the authority that Christ gave us when you get born again and to understand it and to legally execute it. And now I can legally execute with written authority in me and here and I can write checks on his bank account. That's why Jeremy quoted the scripture, Philippians 4.19. Paul says, I'm fully convinced. Everybody say, I'm fully convinced. I'm fully convinced. That God will go on and supply all of our needs and everything that we need, we won't have lack. I am 100% convinced without stress, anxiety, or worry that the Lord is gonna take care of us and this church because it's his church. He's the head of his church. And as long as I stay faithful and obedient, as long as we honor one another in love, as long as we do what he tells us to do, we're not going to get sidetracked. So God wants us to multiply, and he's given us a mandate. The opposite of multiplication, I love what my friend Vince said. He said is division. Because I always thought it was subtraction, but it's not. 
it's division. So if we're not multiplying, we get divided because we're focused on self, and then ultimately we get subtracted. Right. Now next week, I'm going to, I already have next week's message virtually done. Because in next week's message, I'm going to talk to you about how God added to the church from 120 to 3,000 to 5,000 and how that process happened. It was rapid multiplication. But it says that God added. And the word added in the Greek, the understanding of the word added is that people laid down their world system and worldly possessions and took everything of their identity in the world, laid it down and stepped into their position. To be added means I stepped into position of who I was called to be. Not just we got a bigger church. Because this will just become like any other mega church if we don't understand who we are and sons and daughters and moms and papas and reproduce in position, knowing the mission and hearing God's voice clearly. You understand? But the devil can't stop what God has ordained. The devil can't stop what God has ordained for your life unless you choose to allow him to do it. And we're not gonna allow him to do it, okay? So we have a multiplication mandate. Everybody say multiplication Multiplication. mandate. Meaning we've been entrusted with authority and power through God's ability in us to accomplish his mission through multiplication and expansion. God gives us the promise and the ability. He makes you a promise, he gives you a promise, and he gives you the ability to make more promises. So think about this. Jesus is praying in the garden, and he's praying for his disciples. And then he says this one little line. He says, I'm not just praying for them, those that you've given to me, but I'm praying for those that are to come. So there are generations that are coming that need to know what we know, that need to have what you have. We have to reproduce and multiply. We have to expand, and we have to do it holistically. Let me give you a great example. God is the one, if we are faithful to do what he's called us to do and walk in unity, God will give us the increase. It's biblically mandated. Everybody say, God gives... The increase. Let's look that up. First Corinthians chapter three, verse six. Now let me give you the backstory on this. Here's the backstory. The Paul just kicks the Corinthian church's hiney. I'm telling you, prior to this, he says you're carnal because you're picking and choosing who you're going to follow and not follow. One says they're of this person. One says they're of that person. One says I'm submitted to Marlene, but I'm not submitted to Doug. One says, I'm part of this, follow, this camp, but not part of this camp. And the Lord says, that's carnal. That's carnal thinking. The Bible says that God has put all authorities in position and place, and God expects us to be unified and to follow all the authorities and structures that he's, Jesus even did it. So Jesus, when he went through the process of the cross, at any time could have called down legions of angels and just wiped them out. He had the power and the authority to call down legions of angels and stop the process. But instead, he submitted to the authorities, no matter how dysfunctional, and he was obedient as a lamb led to the cross. Now, one of these these, uh, messages, I'm going to be talking about authority. Because we have a broken authority structure and lack of good understanding in most churches today. And so, there's this division in the Corinthian church of who they're picking to choose and follow. And here's what Paul says. He says, I planted and Apollos watered, but God what? So one person's planting, one person's watering. And God is the one that gives the increase. I didn't make myself grow. I didn't say, son, make me grow. I didn't create the son to make me grow. What I did was I received the seed Cultivate it through what God provides and God gave the increase. I can't take the credit for my spiritual growth except for the fact that I stayed faithful and obedient and in the pocket and then somehow, supernaturally, I grew in understanding and wisdom and became something much greater than I was over an extended period of time. It's the process of raising a child. I don't yet, I mean, it frustrates me with my four-year-old acts like a two-year-old. It does. I'm like, you're four now. What's the matter with you? (laughs) Don't you understand no means no? But see, my son doesn't have the ability to make self-adjusting decisions right now. 
No, even my, I'm like, self-adjust, son, make the right decision. Self-adjust or I will self-adjust you. Get it? So through maturity, you learn to self-adjust. That's the process of discovery. And you lose it if you quit or you jump out or don't understand the bigger process. So this understanding of God gives the increase is the understanding of plants, trees, children, yourself, and now a church. Okay? That's the understanding that God gives the increase. Next scripture. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God what? God gives the increase. Next verse. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his, his own labor. So what that means is, number one, God has a position for every one of you, planting, watering, cultivating. God wants us to be unified. So I'm not any better than Andrea. God's given me more responsibility because I was faithful over the longer period of time to do what he's, what he's called me to do. But she's got an anointing from God too. And if she'll be faithful to water, I'll plant. And now God says we're unified. He wants unity in his church. And then what happens is God, God gives a reward. The word reward here means you got paid for your work. It doesn't mean you got a bonus check. It means you got paid for your, the labor's worth is higher. So now no work is in vain in the kingdom because God will always pay for it. He doesn't bounce checks, people. So when you trust him and work in the kingdom, it says you'll receive a reward according to your labor. These are, this is the understanding that I work for him. And as I work for him, God brings the increase. In this case, what's the, what are we talking about? It says one person's watering, one person's planting. Now we're uniform, unified. And then it says God is going to give us a reward according to his own labor, according to his work. So now check this out. Imagine when Melody gets her reward and Andres gets his reward and Doug gets his reward and you get your reward and then we become one. Are you seeing where I'm going with this? It's the understanding that God wants rapid multiplication because all of us are getting in a position and doing what we're supposed to do, working together in unity and not saying, well, you're a planter, I'm a water. And you planters are just jacked up. You should never be, you think it's all about evangelism. What's the matter with you? It's all about discipleship. And then we're pitted together, but really we need each other. Bam! You get it? You guys should be just popping like popcorn right now. There is a reward, and the reward is more than you had before. The reward is more than you had before. God's word will not return back to him void, but will accomplish that which he sent it out to accomplish. Stay in the spot, stay in the lane, don't quit, get unified, stop complaining, and let's do this. Bam! The possibilities are endless. The possibilities are endless. Let me tell you how big the possibility is. Let me tell you how big God's mission is or vision. It's Habakkuk 2.14. I love this scripture. Habakkuk 2.14 says that the earth, everybody say the earth. It will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The earth will be filled with God's knowledge, with the knowledge of God. And you know how that happens? It doesn't happen through the fog. Like, you know the movie, The Fog, old 80s movie? My, I was terrified of the fog when I was a kid. <laughs> Don't go watch the fog or the blob. It's not some by and by pie in the sky. Everybody say, tag, I'm it. So God picks the people, his people, his hands and feet, his body to bring the knowledge of him. He chose you. Everybody say he chose me. So he wants the knowledge of the glory. The word glory means the manifested image of his nature and character and the exact identity of who he is. So people are all over the world. The devil has watered down the kingdom with these weak, sissified churches with no power. That have lost sight of the mission. And now we'll just muddy the waters. There's 350 churches in this town. What makes you any different? We'll just come and see. Because people have no measurement of normal. I had no measurement of normal. And let me also make this clear. 
If you're here and you commit to this church, we're all going where we've never been before. I've never done this. this. I'm at the first place at the first time ever right now. It doesn't mean I don't know where I'm going. It doesn't mean I don't know how to do it. But what it does mean is, is all of us are pioneering. You would say, I'm a pioneer. We are pioneering something that's never been done before. We're going where few have gone before, and it's better than the Twilight Zone or Star Trek. But it might be adventurous like that. I mean, Jesus, beam me up. All right. So God wants his glory to be revealed. How does the knowledge and the glory be revealed? Say, tag, I'm it. Because now people see me, they see Jesus. When you start to understand that Jesus and the presence is in you, I got asked by a dear friend, how do I get in the presence of God? I said, first, you stop looking for it somewhere else and let it rise up out of you. Because if Jesus is in you, you're a carrier of the presence. So just get around me. Just spend two minutes with Frank. Just spend two minutes with Jeremy. Just spend two minutes with Felicia. And you will see Jesus beaming out of their eyes and their mouth. When you start to realize that we're not looking for something else to come, but rather he's come and now he's in, now we take. We take him with us. We represent and reflect. Does it mean we don't have a greater presence? Does it mean we don't have a greater manifestation? No. God's presence still comes. It's called the weight of his glory or the kabod. And suddenly we all get unified and the atmosphere shifts. But it was really because all of us were responding. God inhabits the praises of his people. So when you started to respond, he says, here I come. Now the person next to you and now a hundred of us, now a thousand, imagine thousands. Imagine people all over the world, which is what's happening. Imagine a thousand people praying in tongues. And if you think that's weird, there's millions of people all over the world doing the same thing. Millions, plural. Massive amounts. It's not weird. It's not abnormal. It's normal. So people get to step into a house and see what normal looks like. Sons and daughters. Next week, on Saturday, a wedding's going to happen right here. Five o'clock. Two former drug addicts with horrible, broken, checkered pass. Horrible pass. Horrible stories. Some of the worst you've ever heard. A whole lifetime of destruction. And then they finally check into rehab to get in the process of full recovery, and they meet each other. And then they come to Rock City in that process. And through the course of time and worship and fathering and correction and crying and weeping and lots of me spending time with them in in premarital counseling because they got engaged and they did it wrong to start, but then we got them corrected to do it the right way. They received the correction. And now you're going to get to see what Rock City was created to do in so many ways. And they're not here now. They were here last service, but they wanted me to extend a personal invitation to the whole church to come. You're all invited to a wedding. If you've never seen me do a wedding before, it's not very often. We've had a couple where couples come here. They were started wrong, living together, shacking up. They did it, started to do it right. I got them in process. And now we did a wedding here and we opened to the church. I think it's only happened once or twice. Very rare. And if you want to see a wedding done right, come next week. I'm not kidding. Five o'clock. You're all invited. And you know what? It's a formal occasion. It's tuxes. So wear your suits, wear your ties. And if you don't have one, go get one. And don't come in shorts and flip-flops, please. (laughs) This is not a beach wedding. And you're all going to get to witness what family does. And it's beautiful. And so what will happen is, is now I've got 40 people that are, or 50 or 100 recovered, recovered. Notice the word recovered. Addicts and alcoholics and whatever the past was. And then now God raises people up like Troy and Tiffany and so many others, Jason and Samantha. It's Jason and Samantha, by the way. Samantha Fitzgerald and Jason Petrus is who's getting married next week. And bring a gift. Yeah, bring a gift. Come on, let's just rock them. Let's rock them, okay? And so now we build a whole army of people and we start these programs to help addicts fully recover. And then we do all these different things to make us one to accomplish the mission. And it's beautiful and it's powerful. 
And so what happens is, is we become the knowledge and the glory of God to the people that we encounter. And we transform people to reproduce. We transform people to reproduce. So now, are you guys ready for scripture shotgun? Are you ready? I'm going to just blast you. Just soak it in. Just soak it in right now. I'm going to give you your word for now and for eternity. Okay? Seriously. Part of the covenant promises of God in every single covenant promise, the understanding of multiplication and reproduction is embedded in it. The mission always includes multiplication and reproduction, and it's mandated. Genesis 1.28, God made man in his image and likeness, but man through the fall lost the image and likeness of God, but through Jesus comes back into it. So we can still reproduce, we can still fulfill what I call your job description. You know what your job title is? Husbandman. You know what a husbandman is? In modern day English, it means gardener. And it means a land worker or a farmer. And we're farming God's field and God's kingdom. We become part of the field and his building. This is all 1 Corinthians 3. And then in turn, we become gardeners. And so you can't be a good gardener if you're not first fruitful. But it says, he blessed them and God said, be fruitful and what? Multiply. Multiply. That's right. He wants us to multiply. So God would give this incredible covenant promise to Abraham. Now, let me give you the backstory on what I'm about to read to you, okay? Abraham, when he was 99 years old, 99. In fact, the Bible says he was as good as dead. Some of, I'm going to show it to you. Some of you feel as good as dead right now, but God's still got a promise. You may feel as good as dead, too old, too outdated. Don't let the devil lie to you. Don't let the devil rob you from what's happening in this church. This church is becoming too young. No, I need all the generations. I need young and old. And the promise is to everyone. And so Abraham prays and gets the fulfillment of the promise. He gets a son, and his name is Isaac. Okay? So then God says, I want you to take your only son up to Mount Moriah, and I want you to sacrifice him. Take the very thing you believe for, the very thing you labored for, the very thing that you prayed for, and God says, now I want you to give it back to me. And that's the process of God all the time. He takes what's so valuable and precious, and he says, will you give it to me? And I say, never hold on to anything so tight so that God doesn't have to pry it out of your hands. Because many times he just wants to know, are you willing to give it up? And then he says, oh, now you can keep it. He does that. He's done that to me so many times. And then finally you get the point. Here's the point. Just give it up. It's not yours anyway. So we kick and scream and fight just like Jonah did under the tree because he's mad that it wasn't enough shade. And God gave him the tree to begin with. So you understand that God is the one that gives the increase and you surrender it back to him. That's why the elders, the 24 elders in worship around the throne right now are casting their crowns down at his feet because they're laying down their kingdom. This isn't about your kingdom. Now, does God want to build you and make your name great? Yes, because he did it for Jesus. But it comes only through the cross. That's how it comes. God will exalt you, but only when you fully become like Jesus. Okay? And so Abraham goes to the mountain. And he says to his servant, wait here. We're going to, my son and I are going to go up to that mountain and worship, and we are going to come back. Abraham knew that God was faithful and that if God gave him the promise, that God would sustain the promise through. And he was obedient, and he goes up to the mountain, and he gets up there, and he pulls out the knife, and he's ready to stick it in the heart of his son. And God says, wait, Abraham. Don't do it. And there in the bush was a ram caught in the thicket. Every provision and promise that he could ever, and what did Abraham do? Take the ram for himself and go have a party? No, he made a sacrifice right there. So he took what he had and sacrificed it back and, got, and he was faithful. And I want you to look at what happened through Abraham's faithfulness. Genesis twenty-two fifteen. The angel of the Lord called Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, sworn says the Lord. Because you have done this thing and not withheld your son, your only son, now I want you to notice the promise. 
Blessing, I will bless you, and I will what? There is a multiplication mandate in the kingdom. Do not get sidetracked. We are required and expected and have a promise of multiplication. And the multiplication is not more stuff. It's sons and daughters and descendants and, the, and territories. It's kingdom expansion. Everybody say kingdom expansion. So he says, I'm going to multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and the sand which is on the seashore, and your descendants will possess the gate of their enemies. They're going to take territory. They're going to be apostolic. And so you become a promise. See, I'm a promise from God. You're a promise from God. But there are thousands of promises waiting to come. There's a thousand promises still to be made. Hebrews 11:12. 12. Hebrews 11 is called the hall of faith. Read Hebrews 11 again. I mean, it's awesome. All these people that could really do nothing trusted God and did incredible things. Just summed it up for you. All these people that seemed lacking were suddenly provided for, and man, they expanded and produced. And so it says, therefore, from one man, and I do think to myself, now, God, why did you have to put this little part here as good as dead? I mean, if I'm Abraham, I'm thinking, God, you didn't have to put that one part in there as good as dead. I mean, I'm as good as dead? And God says, yes, because I'm in the business of resurrection. I take you when you feel like you're as good as dead and I resurrect you. Make sure you never forget that when you thought you were good as dead, I resurrected you. Maybe you never forget. May you never forget that when you were down and out at your end, God said, when you were as good as dead, I'll birth a promise right out of your life. Never stop believing. Never stop and never give up. He says, I'm gonna bless you. He says, from this one man, and him as good as dead were born as many as the stars of the sky and the multitude, innumerable as the sand which is on the seashore. We've been spending a lot of time at the beach lately, and I can't help but grab handfuls of sand and process how much sand that one is. And then I look down the coastline, and I think to myself, from the waters of the earth to the sand of the sea to the stars in the sky, that's how big our God is and how much he's going to multiply. And it rocks me. And I say, I'm getting in line, Lord. I'm getting in line. I'm going to do what you called me to do because I'm part of that promise. I want to inherit that promise. Not only was the promise made to Abraham, but it was made to his descendants. And along comes Isaac. Isaac was the promise birth to him at, when he was 99 years old. And there was a promise that was made to Isaac. Here it is. Genesis 26, 2 through 5. Then the Lord appeared to him and said, do not go down to Egypt. Let me tell you the story. The backstory is, is there's a terrible famine in the land. And in the midst of famine, Isaac wants to take Israel or the nation or his people. There was no Israel born yet. But he wants to take the people back to Egypt. Now, this is pre-Exodus. This is pre-Exodus. This is Genesis. Remember, Genesis, Exodus. Okay? But there was something in Egypt that would have killed them, the ways of the people and the false gods and all the things that were going to be there. And so because there's a drought, sometimes you feel like there's a drought in your life and you want to run back to Egypt. Sometimes you feel like there's a drought in your life and you want to go back to slavery. Sometimes you think the grass is greener on the other side and it's not greener on the other side. In fact, God has you where he wants you. And even in the midst of drought, God says, watch what I can do. Because look, says the Lord appeared to him and said, don't go to Egypt. But live in the land which I tell you, even though there's a famine right now. Dwell in the land, and I'll be with you, and I'll bless you. For to you and your descendants, I'll give all these lands, and I will perform the oath which I swore to who? One of the things you're going to notice about in every covenant promise is God fulfilled it because what he said to Abraham. Because let me tell you how God will fulfill all the promises to come because of the mothers and the fathers being obedient. Man, there was a great anointing on what I just said. Thank you I, for those of you that clap. I don't expect that, but, but I'm telling you, if you will be faithful as a mother and a father, God will make a covenant promise with you that will transcend your family line and will be honored to your children and your children's children, just like he did from Abraham to his kids. Woo! Yeah! So the promise was to him. Look at verse four. I'll make your descendants multiply. There's the word again. Multiply as what? The stars of heaven. I'll give to your descendants all these lands. And in your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Because of who? 
Because who? Did what? You, if you're not hearing God's voice, you won't know what to obey. You'll obey another voice. That's why Jesus said, my sheep know my voice, and another voice they will not follow. One of the greatest things I can teach you is to obey the voice of the Lord, which means you've got to be hearing. You've got to be hearing. Position yourself to hear God's voice. Read your Bible. Go sit by the water. Get some worship music on. Get some Jason Upton. Play Pandora. I don't care what you got to do. Go get a good coffee from Coffee Waves. My little side plug there. And go get by the water and go have some Jesus time. Pay the price to hear his voice. Because Abraham heeded the voice of God, what happened? The promise passed down. He says, I love how the Lord says to Isaac, I'm going to do all this stuff because you're daddy. Because of your daddy. Because of your daddy. So my kids, your kids, get to inherit the promise if we'll stay the course. That's what I believe fully. Galatians 4.28, just so that you know, the very promise that was given to Isaac is given to you. Now we... Brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. Everybody say, I'm a child of promise. Say, I have a promise. So I'm showing it to you in the Bible. You can't deny this. There's no denying what I'm teaching you. I don't care how you slice it and dice it. I'm keeping it so simple. The very promise made to Abraham and Isaac was also made to you. Tag were it. Tag, we're it. God has made all of us the promise that he has. Next, we have Jacob. Jacob gets this word from Isaac. Genesis 28 through 4. This is, this is Isaac blessing his son. This, this would be good to read over your own kids. May God Almighty bless you. And may he make you fruitful. And do you see the theme? The constant process of theme is fruitful and multiplication. So Isaac now says to his son, Jacob, who becomes Israel, he passes it down the legacy line. He passes it down the legacy line. There's generations for your kids that God wants to bless and pass it on down. He says that you may be an assembly of peoples and give you the blessings of to you and your descendants with you, that you may inherit the land in which you're a stranger, which God gave to Abraham. So now Isaac and Rebekah tell their son, get out of Canaan. Don't marry a Canaan woman, a Canaanite woman. Because if you marry a Canaanite woman, chances are likely you're going to give in to their practices and ways. And he says, I want you to go back to the home country. And so he sends Jacob out, and Jacob goes, back, heads back to his home country, and stops in a place that he names Bethel. He names it Bethel which means house of God. You know why he named it Bethel? Because he lays down, he's tired, he lays down and he has this dream. And in the dream, there's a stairway to heaven opened up and angels ascending and descending and he realizes I'm in an open heaven portal and then he names it Bethel. But when he's sleeping in the dream, in the dream, this is what God says. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, this is Genesis 28, 13 through 15. He says, I'm the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land of which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth and shall spread abroad to the west and the east, the north, the south. And in you, your seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Behold, I'm with you and I will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. All of these covenant promises today are for us. Please, when you walk out of here, be transformed. You are a promise from God. And not only am I a promise, but I got promises coming up behind me. And there are people that have yet to discover the promise that God has for you. There are people that are gonna walk in this door that have no concept and understanding of who they are as a promise from God. They have no idea. They've been lost and disoriented and disenfranchised with church systems, hurt, abused, rejected, abandoned, addicts, homeless. People from all walks of earth are gonna walk in here and experience the life and the power that God has for them 
because of who we become as promises and understanding the process of the multiplication mandate and reproducing because I'll leave you with this two last scriptures, Galatians 3.29. If you are in Christ, if you are in Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You, there's no denying. You have a promise and you are a promise. You're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Everybody say, I am a promise. Am a promise. Say, I'm on a mission. I'm on a mission. Say, multiplication, multiplication. Mandate. mandate. Are you connecting the dots today? Yes. With expansion and promise comes this. It's the last thing I'm going to say. With expansion and promise comes this. More people discovering who God really is. People discovering their true identity as sons and daughters. Finding family and community. People that never had family can come in and now be a part of a family and not walk through life alone. People will come in and discover what normal really is supposed to look like and set the standard for kingdom normal. With more people comes more resources. And with more resources comes a greater opportunity to impact the community on a local and global level. More people, more gifts, more talents, more resources, and a greater ability to fulfill the multiplication mandate. I'm not out to just build a bigger church, people. I'm out on a mission, and I'm saying that now. That didn't sound very nice. I'm not saying that to just say it, beloved of Christ. It's a nice way to say it. I'm saying it because you need to understand this is not stopping. We are a freight train on a mission to accomplish the covenant promises of God. And I want to see people, my greatest reward is to see somebody flame on as a son and daughter, discover their nature identity and go reproduce it now. That gets me excited. Not more money, not more stuff, not bigger church, not, although I am going to get excited about a better sound system. I am telling you that, okay? With more people comes a place for healing, training, equipping, and sending. Ephesians 4 says that the, the five-fold ministry is designed to make us unified to one and to train the people for the work of the ministry. And training for the work of the ministry is critical. Last scripture, Luke 10, 2. Jesus said to them, the harvest truly is great, but the labors are few. The harvest is what? The harvest is what? Great. You know what the word great means? It means it's really expansive and big and large. But we have a worker problem. We don't have a harvest problem. I can, I'm telling you, it is not that hard to tell people <coughs> about Jesus. It's not that hard to tell people about Jesus. The harvest is great. They're ripe. The fields are white. I'm telling you, it's not that hard. What's hard is the workers. Why? Because self-consumed, focused on self, too busy, jaded, not knowing the mission, quitting ministry. The list goes on. But we're changing that here. This is going to be a harvest field full of a lot of laborers. Because it says the workers are few. So he says, here's what I want. I want you to entreat the Lord. The word pray means to entreat him, to petition him that he would send workers into the harvest. He's called the Lord of the harvest. So the Holy Spirit is the Lord of the harvest. My job is to go work the field. Get it? We need field workers. We need land workers. We need gardeners. We need husbandmen, husbandwomen. We need people that were lay their lives down to understand that the only way the multiplication mandate is fulfilled and the covenant promise is fulfilled is by being sent. So Jesus would send you. And sent means, it's a word, apostle. You are sent. And we need marketplace workers. We need workers in every facet of society and community. Because the marketplace and the local church has to go hand in hand. Your mission field is your cubicle. Your mission field is the drive-through. Your mission field is the 
coffee bar. Your mission field is at Charlie's Place if you work there. Your mission field is in real estate. Your mission field is on the boat if you're a guide. Your mission field is in the refinery. Wherever it is, God makes you a light in the darkness. In the darkest of dark places, God makes you a light. And if you're saying, man, it's so dark, darkness, bam, you're in the right spot. Because God commands light out of darkness. Tag I met. Tag I met. Everybody say tag I met one more time. Let's all stand.